and adore and bend the knee while we own the mystery. That's a blessing to have God with us today. Amen. Welcome to Homeschool Encouragement Day 2018, second attempt. <laughs> we uh, thank the most of all here today that planned to be here. We had a bout with sickness, and so we're back at it again. We're all mostly well today. So thank you for coming out. And uh, <clears throat> if you're a homeschooler and you need some encouragement, I think you're at the right place. Ah. Hopefully the Lord will give us that today. Well, I think due to the snow and everything, we're just going to turn the clock back 15 minutes, or at least that's their clock this morning. So uh, no one needs to hurry. Uh, and we're going to do lunch before I think we can probably also plan that the kids maybe at least not eat early. Most likely 15 minutes late. <coughs> For a while there, when I got up, I wasn't sure if we were going to even have it today. I, I, yeah, it was a very big surprise. Yeah. All right, well, <clears throat> Brother Clint and his family are a part of it, are here today, and we're very happy to have them here with us. And uh, he will be bringing the first message this morning. And after that, we'll take a 15-minute break, and I don't think I'll bother coming up here between... Uh, ask a Clint's message. Uh, be prepared to take notes, and uh, if there's anything you'd like to discuss about any of the messages, we have a two-hour session after lunch that uh, hopefully we can cover even some of those questions that, that we might have. So uh, jot down your questions, and uh, let's... Uh, Trust the Lord for a blessing concerning our homeschooling endeavors. <clears throat> so Clint comes up, and then we take a break, and then Brother Larry comes up for the second message. And then Earl will close it and have some comments and prayer. So I think we'll have a prayer before we start here and ask the Lord for his blessing. Let's pray. Amen. children are heritage of the Lord. They're gifts to, to, to us from you, dear God. They're a blessing. Lord, you've lent them to us to care for, to train, to teach, and to guide, to instruct. And Lord, we're here. We know that is not an easy task. And we need your help, Lord. We need others' help. And Father, this is this day of dedicated for that. Lord, we pray for your blessing. Let your Holy Spirit minister to us and encourage our hearts, Lord. And lift up the hands that might hang down, Lord. And strengthen the feeble knees concerning homeschooling, Lord. Lord, strengthen and brighten our vision. Help us, Lord, to do this for you, God, because our children are from you. Thank you, God. Thank you for this day. Thank you for Brother Clint. God bless you. 
Jesus, Lord. We pray your blessing on each one. Yes, Lord. We pray, God, that you would give us all inspiration and you would give us the grace to receive it, Lord. Good morning on a snowy day. Yes, thank you, Alvin, for that prayer. That uh, I do believe that homeschooling is something from the Lord. It's something that we believe in because we believe in godly families and we believe in influence in our children for the Lord. And I think the Lord cares about homeschooling because He cares about children. And he cares about the relationship between fathers and mothers and their children. Uh, yeah. Yes. Greetings from Wisconsin. Greetings from, the, from our little fellowship there. That's something we share with you. and We're all homeschoolers there too. Something we believe in. We have uh, some families there that are especially strong in it. We have some that are maybe especially weak in it. And uh, we try to encourage one another and the the strong encourage the weak, and, and uh, I think that's what's happening here today. Like Elvin said, this is a good place to be. I gave this uh, talk similar to the one I'm going to give this morning in, in 2013, and it came about this way. Uh, Chris, our elder there, came to me, and he said, I hear you were homeschooled, and Yes, I had been homeschooled. I was probably one of the oldest homeschooled ones there, the church at the time. So I have a question for you this morning. How many fathers and mothers in this room with children of your own are, was homeschooled? One, two, three, four. What's that? Up on top, a few more, yes. It's like at least six. If I'm, my hands aren't going up very high here. Yeah, so in, at that time, I was, I was the, the only one there, I believe, that was as old as I was for sure. I asked another question that day, and I'm going to ask it here also. How many fathers in this room are actively involved at least an hour a week in homeschooling your children. <laughs> How about just now and then, hit and miss? I uh, got a now, some more hands went up. That's good. Uh, when problems come up or a special subject or something like that. Yeah, that always brings up a few more hands. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at, hit and miss. So, I know when uh, Elvin called me, I told him that. I said, you know, I'm not very much involved in homeschooling. Are you sure you want me to be there? Well, he said, that's just normal. So, okay. Well, that's good. It makes me feel a little better. Yes, my story on homeschooling I thought would be interesting to you is I think there is a need for, especially the next generation, to realize that some people paid a great price in the early days to be homeschoolers. Uh, much of the, we'll call it the charity movement, the remnant movement come about because people began to realize there's something wrong with what's going on in the public schools. 
And they started pulling their children out of those public schools, and they didn't have many options back in those days. What do we do? A lot of the people that came into the charity movement, I don't think quite so much in this immediate fellowship, but in our fellowship, quite a few uh, came out of the homeschooling movements, and they found the Mennonites and or the plain churches in general, and that's how they came to where they are. My background is a little different. I grew up German Baptist, and in our setting, almost everyone public schooled. There was a few exceptions out west in California. There was a few private schools. They were wealthier out there, and they could afford to pay teachers and that sort of thing. But on the whole, public school was the norm. So I was public schooled through fourth grade, uh, nineteen. About 1978-79 in there, my dad came to realize that it's not illegal to take your children out of public school. There are options. It was a great revelation to him. He, he thought, well, you probably just go to jail if you do something like that. So his experience had been terrible. There, he had went to a, a base school there in McQuanaquah High School, and we were talking about military base. So you had these these two-year rollovers, and children were very insecure, a lot of violence. Uh, the schools were being consolidated at that time, and a lot, of the, a lot of the teachers that he had had just came out of high school four years before that. And there was weird relationships going on between students and teachers, and, and uh, there was knives, guns, uh, the hippie movement was going on, and my dad was just petrified of what was going on with us children in the public schools. And it was just about as bad as he thought it was, even in, in fourth grade. And uh, he wanted something different. When he pulled us out, he was one of the first in our background, one of the first, I'm going to say, ten families to pull his children out of the public school. And it was hard back then. You know, now it's just blasé. It's just normal. We expect it. You know, what's so special about that? But for him, it was very bad. And in a church setting, a very tight-knit, very close-knit, very culturally-centered church setting, it was even worse because people thought something was going on with this Lynn Wolf. What's the matter with him taking his children out of public school? Does he think he can keep the children from the evil that's in it? He had elders coming to him and saying, what's, what's, what's going on with you? And when they asked him that question, he said, no, I can't keep them from the, I can't keep them out of the, I can't take them out of the world, but I can keep them from the evil that is in it. I can keep them out of those horrible influences. So these are prices that were being paid. This was back in 1979. So it goes back a, back a few years. And then there was, you know, as we didn't have a lot of, there wasn't a lot of curriculums back then. They, I remember writing with my parents to these Mennonite schools and Amish schools and and uh, these little bookstores around that these plain communities have, and picking up, uh, you know, Strayer Upton Math and, and Pathway Readers, and I don't know, it was just a, just a hodgepodge. Set up a little classroom, a little schoolroom there, and for the first two years, I'm going to say, my mother was very involved, and, you know, she taught the classes, and, and the, you know, the curriculum was basically set up for a... a you know, private schools. It wasn't really set up for homeschooling at all. So it wasn't, it wasn't very much, you know, self-walking through. The teacher pretty much had to be there in the books we were using. And uh, one of the things that I noticed, and this is something I want to talk about a little bit more later on, was, you know, the, the initial fire and zeal and energy waned after the second year or so. 
Pretty soon we were just kind of all doing our own homeschooling, kind of by ourselves in our bedrooms, you know, just kind of trying to get it done. And uh, the, that fire and that zeal was, was pretty intense to start with, and it gradually faded. And that had a detrimental effect, and I want to talk about that a little bit too, and more in a general way. It had a detrimental effect on me. You know, I didn't have a good public school experience. It had been a pretty rough time for me, and I was glad to get out. But later on, when you know, the schooling wasn't being done that terrible well, I got kind of lonely trying to do it by myself. There wasn't a lot of interaction with other people. And I began to really get interested. I was an encyclopedia reader. I enjoyed knowledge. I wasn't real good at math, but about all the other things that had to do with words, I enjoyed it. And I was kind of athletic, and I got to thinking about wrestling and football, and here I was missing out on all that stuff. And so there's something about that experience that caused me to sort of question the whole concept of homeschooling for a number of years. And that's a concern I have. If there's anything I would like to, hopefully, this day would help to do is to rekindle a zeal in parents to keep the fires burning for your children's sake. Because, you know, I, I began to think, well, homeschooling doesn't even work. And so it was probably, Karen was probably two or three years old, our oldest daughter, before I began to realize that I was going to have to rethink this. I had just planned to send my children to public school. That was still pretty much the norm in the German Baptist background, and it was at least going to get an education. That was a concern to me. And I eventually, uh, the Lord and various circumstances led me out of that path, thank the Lord, and it was a, that's a long story all by itself. But you have a child, you, some of you have children that are very curious, very interested in learning. Feed that, help that to grow. Don't let that die out. The title of my message is Homeschooling. That's a long title, and you can make of it what you want. Homeschooling, a mindset, a way of life. That's an important point, by the way. It's a context in which to raise godly children. Homeschooling is not in itself righteous, and homeschooling is not in itself something religious that we do. It's not some kind of a service to God, but it is a context. It's an environment in which we raise godly children. And I would like to make the point that we're not just merely anti-public school or anti-private school, but rather we are pro-homeschool. Now, homeschool has two words in it. We're going to talk about that a little later on, I hope. But it's home and it's school. It's not just home and it's not just school. For a little basis for this, there's a couple of scriptures I'll go to before the day is over. The one of the important ones is in Deuteronomy 6. You're very familiar with it. Deuteronomy 6, 5, and 7. I've got it down on my notes as a foundational purpose for why we believe in homeschooling. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. With that foundation, with the soul and with the might, these words which I command thee this day 
shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently, with enthusiasm, with anxious desire, diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by thy way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Now that's homeschooling. That's not sending children away somewhere. That is not delegating the task to someone else. This is our children with us every day, all day long, in the morning, in the evening, in the noon, and as we're walking, by the way, as we're working in our fields, as we're working in our cabinet shops or in many barn shops, we are with our children. We are pro-homeschool, not anti-public school. There is a difference. One of the things that I think about when I think of homeschooling is it's kind of like home business. Denny Kennison years ago said something that stuck in my mind. We do not have a home business. We do not have our children to grow our home business. We have our home business to grow our children. And that's what homeschooling is about. It is a context. It is a place. It is a way. It is a path that we use to raise up children for God. Now I have a list of, of, of purposes that I'm going to go through, but first of all, I'd like to te- talk just a little bit about teaching versus training, and that's the reason why homeschooling is so important. At school, primarily they're putting facts into people's heads. In homeschooling, we should be thinking of it as training. When a, when a paramedic goes out onto a, an accident, He doesn't get out the book and try to figure out what to do about this bloody mess in front of him. A life is is going out. Somebody is dying. His training is what kicks in. Training. Our children should be trained in a godly lifestyle, in a godly way of thinking. It's It's a godly mindset. And so part of what we're doing is, yes, we're imparting knowledge to them, but we are training them too. And that's the only best person that can possibly do that is parents. We have the best opportunity in the world to train, to cut a rut, cut a groove. When the difficulties of life come in, our job is to have cut a groove in our children's lives so they fall into that groove and do the right thing. There's a difference between teaching and training. I would say one of the examples of that is in telling the truth. Our children should just find it difficult to tell a lie. Training is what does that. Difficult. Four purposes for homeschoolers. Four four underlying principles for why we homeschool. Things we commit to. Our purpose for homeschooling. Christianity is purposeful. We don't just randomly go through life. And our homeschooling has a purpose. Number one, we are ultimately, we purpose to be ultimately responsible and accountable for child training and instruction. We're responsible. To me, it's a matter of faith that our children are given to us because God gave them to us and He specifically gave them to us. They are our children. They were given to us and therefore we are given the ability. We are given 
the, the means. We can do it. We can raise them for Him. God would not have given us an automatic failure. God gave us children, and He expects that we will take responsibility and we will be accountable to God for them. Now, that's not a stick to beat one another with. That's not a stick to beat ourselves with. We will fail. Some of us will fail miserably. But that, it is just, it's not a matter of, okay, let's look at brother so-and-so. He miserably failed with his children. Therefore, he didn't do what God called him to do. That's not what that's about. But it's a matter of basic faith that we can raise our children for God. Not a stick to beat ourselves with. Not a stick to beat each other with. But it is a matter of faith. One of the, one of the things that inspired me on that one is I, I know a man quite well who has had a pretty mid, miserable mess with his children. That's just the facts of the matter. You can't really get around it. There's not a nice way of saying it. In our many discussions over the years, his constant refrain is, yes, that works for other people, but it doesn't work for me. My children are different. That's the reason why my children act the way they do. We purpose to take responsibility for our children. That is a fundamental position of a homeschooling parent. And I would maybe just throw this in here. Some of our children are different than we are. Some of our children, just our personalities, our way of learning, our way of looking at the world, I don't know how it happens. Out of my four children, I have one. that's just different than I am. It's just the way it is. And for a long time, I wondered, I, 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 everything I just said, I believe it with all my heart. But here I have a child that I'm just, just having a hard time communicating these truths to. In, in family devotions, they're just a blank look a lot of times. And, and, you know, I would try to express love and things just didn't go well for quite a number of years. But I took responsibility. And praise God, that situation is vastly different. And I have learned something. I have found a great joy in having a child that's radically different than me. There has been... It has really brought a whole new element of beauty into my home that I wouldn't have had any other way. I praise God for that. Take responsibility. Don't give up. Seek to build a relationship with the children that are different than yourself. We purpose to train, second purpose, we purpose to train not just the mind, but also the heart and the soul. True education, a true well-rounded education, integrates faith in Jesus Christ with the context and the content of learning. We purpose, number three. We'll get into that one just a little bit more later on. I think I'll just leave parts of that out. We purpose to bond with our children. And keep their hearts. And that's an important point because a relationship between the teacher and the child, whether you're the father, whether you're the older sibling, is extremely important. People do not learn well when there is tension. People do not learn well when there is criticism. There's been a, a lot of studies of that. A happy child that is flowing well 
with his teacher learns much faster. If you go into a college, we had a young man stayed with us for about three years. And he was not all that good at mathematics, actually. But when he was in college, he took four years of math because he liked the teacher. And he got to be pretty good at math when it was all said and done. He wasn't natural, but he liked the teacher. Bond with your children. If you want your children to learn, there should just be a flowing relationship between the parent and the, and the teacher, the teacher and the child. This one is important to me, number four. We purpose to instill a love of learning. A love of learning. This one's big. In the past few years, there's been quite a bit of discussion. The economy's changed just in the past little bit. But there was a, a pretty sizable time back starting about 2008 when there was a lot of unemployment. And one of the things that happened was there was, there was people that were in their 50s that were getting laid off the factory, the steel mill, the paper mill up in, in Wasser, there's paper mills that were closing down. And one of the interesting things was that 50-year-old people that were basically able-bodied were getting a disability uh, and basically going on welfare and disability. They couldn't get a job. And there was doctors, there was, there was just doctors that were setting up, they were just basically writing up the paperwork that said, yeah, this guy is disabled. And they got to checking it out because there would be these pockets of places where there's all these disabled people. And so the government started trying to figure out why is there you know, 50,000 disabled people in this area and 20,000 over here. And it, it seemed to be all connected to doctor, certain doctors in certain places. What they found was that it was in these areas where 45 to 55-year-old people had gotten laid off. And the doctor decided, well, they're not really that bad a shape. But they've stopped learning several years back, and they really are not going to be able to get another job. And so the kindest thing we can do is give them disability. So the government looked at that and they said, well, the problem is we, the people need to be retooling. But they found that taking a 50-year-old person and trying to retool them, give them new skills, was almost impossible. And the basic conclusion they came to was, Learning is something that starts young and it keeps on going. People that are constantly learning, when they, when they lose their job, they just keep right on moving. They've been, their minds are active. They're always interested in new things. And our task as parents is to teach that love of learning, to teach them how to learn. You know, when I was up north, I spent quite a bit of time with a, a man that had been a paralegal. Some of you might know him. Uh, Mark Christensen there. One of the things he said was that when you're in law school, one of the things you find out is that there's whole rooms full of books describing all the laws and all the court cases that have ever been. I'm sure it's on computer now, but it's just vast amounts of books, and you can't near, no way, learn them all. But what they teach you in law is how to learn and how to find what you need to know. They teach a love of learning, and that's how a lawyer does his thing. When I was, I'm involved in the SALT program and have been for a number of years. Gary Miller is an interesting person. Some of you have, have spent some time maybe reading his book, uh, Kingdom Focus Finances, and maybe some of you young people have read the book, uh, Charting a Course in Your Youth, Finances. He wrote a lot of books. Uh, he's a 
He's an idea a minute sort of a guy. He's constantly thinking. And the SALT program is his brainchild. And he's constantly, how do, how do you sustainably help poor people? It's something very big. He's in the process now trying to think of ways to, to integrate financial teaching into the plain churches. And he's an interesting man. I got to spend a lot of time with him. One day when we were in Haiti together, riding up and down the mountains there, going from, from one area to the other, he started talking about his growing up. I had known a little bit of, I've actually met his parents years ago. His dad was a preacher. But he got to talking about his mother and dad. And I'd heard my dad was, was a great admirer of his parents also. And so I'd heard little bits and pieces of the story from my dad. They were teachers. Every spare minute, all the moments in time that Gary was growing up, his mother or his dad was pointing things out, giving comparisons, showing him how to think about this. You know, there's, you know, the potatoes are in the ground. There's a tree over there. Look with the way that person's walking. This family over here, there was always talking. Learning was happening all the time in Gary Miller's life as he grew up. And if you've ever spent any time with Gary Miller, he's still learning. He learned to love to learn. So spend time teaching your children, but most of all, teach them to love learning. Not everybody can be a Gary Miller, but maybe this is a good time to speak about an aspect of that. One of the things he said was that mealtimes were teaching times. The table was a pulpit for dad. You know, I've been in families and homes, and some of you probably have been too, where, you know, they, on a normal occasion, everybody just sits down, and in five minutes flat, the table is cleaned up, the, the things are ate, and away they go. And they consider it a virtue. Silence at mealtimes is considered a virtue. I would like to say to the homeschooling parents, Silence at mealtime is not a virtue, it is a detriment. That is the one time the whole family is together, it's the one time you have your children there. Spend some time talking about life, talking about something going on in school. This is not necessarily a time, in fact, I discourage the idea of dad just taking it as his pulpit and, 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 and teaching. But make it stimulating, ask questions. Encourage questions. Get your children to ask questions. Uh, you know, that we spent a little time, we had some placemats we set. And it was, I don't remember what was all on it anymore, but it was scientific placemat and a geography placemat and a, maybe a map. I forget what all was on those placemats. Some biology maybe. And we had learned that idea from a, a family that had a big clear, one of those clear tablecloths. And their mealtimes was at these tablecloths. And underneath of that would be all these charts and maps and diagrams. And they made learning a part of their daily life. Rote learning. That's where you just simply teach. And you teach. I just, uh, I would call it the plunger method. You, you start cramming knowledge into people, hoping some of it will stick. That's not, what, that's not what we do at mealtimes. We turn it into an interactive time, and that can work well in school too, by the way. And that segs right into the next section. Start early and go for the long haul. Learning is a lifestyle 
And I, something I have noticed, and some of you have too, I'm sure, you've noticed that there's children, you know, they hit about six years old and it's time for school, and they don't know anything. You start out with the ABCs and the one, two, threes. It's, there's just nothing there. And anybody who's taught in any kind of a private school knows that is a difficult place to begin a child. Here they're, they're supposed to kind of know a few things. But how do you do that? Was mom supposed to have gotten the books out and started a class before they got to school? No. If you have an atmosphere that's stimulating and encouraging and, and there's things going on, there's books around, you know, one of the most important things you can do for your child is read to them regularly, often. Make a habit of reading to your children. Make sure that they know that these squiggles on this page is what I'm reading. Get them interested in the idea that this, these squiggles mean something and get them started. By the time they're five or six years old, they should know their alphabet. They should recognize many of the, of the, of the letters and the numbers. Start early. I know uh, our littlest, our, our, young, our oldest, I guess, uh, daughter, I remember when she would, we had about 50 hens and they would lay eggs and she was, what, three or so. And she would come in with this basket full of eggs and, and she would say, Mommy, what is 3 plus 12 plus 9 plus 11? Well, she'd count, there was that many in each box. And she couldn't count up to 50, but she could, add, she could count that far and she couldn't add them together. But she had the idea at three years old that there was this concept called math and things could be added together. And it didn't take long. By the time she was five or six, she was, she was rolling with it. Have an atmosphere of learning at a young age. And this one here, point number six. Schooling, home schooling, means home education. There is the word education in homeschooling. Never confuse the motions of doing school with the process of learning. The goal is not to do the books, but to learn the material. You know, our children, you know, we, we as parents have to be our children's motivator. You know, children, that's what they want to do. They want to do the book, and they want to go out and play. You know, how often does somebody want to, how many of your children have been there? I know my children have all been there at some point in time. Can we just get through the book? No matter whether I learned anything, the point is do page five. Make sure that they're getting an education. Make sure that they are learning what you count worth learning. You know, the parents have difference of opinion about how much ge uh, geography or history or literature they might learn. You know, reading, writing, arithmetic is probably the foundation, but then there's difference of opinion. Make sure your children are learning, truly learning, what you would count as worthwhile. And don't dumb that down too much. We'll talk about that a little bit later. If you go to Proverbs 3, I have my Bible open to Proverbs 3, chap, uh, uh, verse 13, 16, and 17, if you have your Bible handy. What is the intersection between academic learning and the Bible. What is, the, what is the, the, the connecting point in 
Well, why are we doing this at church? Why are we doing this as a church? If you turn to Proverbs 3, and there's a, the whole book of Proverbs is about knowledge, wisdom, understanding. That is just a constant refrain throughout the book of Proverbs. And I would just like to point out there is some differences between knowledge and wisdom. You might make a simple explanation is wisdom is simply applied knowledge. But there is places that throughout the entire Proverbs were just simply knowledge. And I would like to read them and I would like to show you the intersecting point. Why it is a biblical issue. Academics is a biblical issue. The 13th verse, I'm going to skip the 14th and 15th and just read the 16th and 17th. Read three verses. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. That is simply knowledge there. Go to the 16th verse. Length of days is in her right hand. Then in the book of Proverbs, especially this first part of Proverbs, wisdom is personified as a woman. So you'll see wisdom, knowledge as a woman, as a, a wise woman. Length of days is in her right hand, and her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are the ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. If you spend some time studying these verses, you'll find that it has to do with knowledge. Not just applied knowledge. But knowledge itself, it brings riches. That's how we make our living. A lot of our businesses, I think Pete Keller, I think his business is a, lot, is a knowledge-based business. Almost all of us have to have some knowledge. And that's the intersection. We as parents are responsible to raise up our children with the skills needed to do life. Would anybody disagree with that? We are responsible to give our children the skills to do life, to make a living, to, to understand their place in the cosmos, to understand where they're at, to understand how to make a living, to how to do relationships. Now, back when the Proverbs were written, and all the way up through to fairly recent times, it didn't take a lot of what we would think of as education. You know, even kings often didn't know how to read and write. They had scribes that done that for them. Most of the education was done in temples. The priesthood would know, what, you know how to read and to write and do the math and understand the astronomy and geography and, and those sorts of things. But the world has changed, and that's the point. What, if you read the book of Proverbs, spend any time in there at all, you understand that the book of Proverbs was that day and time that was important values when, you know, borrowing money, doing, you know, usury and, and uh, you know, you should, you should take care of your fields before you build your house. And there was this basic knowledge of how to live life. Nowadays, reading and writing and arithmetic is an integral part of what it takes for our children to function well in the world that we presently live in. Education is not a luxury. More on that, I, you know, we have about, one of the things that's interesting, if you spend much time studying our, our makeup, 
in the past several years has been an interesting studies made on mostly financed by the insurance companies trying to figure out when is that age that we can lower the insurance premiums 25 years old why is that the insurance companies discovered it but it took it took uh, scientists and research laboratories to discover that the brain isn't fully developed until you're 25 years old. The brain is not fully there. And that's the reason why there's, it's, it's very interesting how all that works. But that's the reason why people that, they, they love 18-year-old to 25-year-olds in the Army. You know, you can put a gun in their hand and tell them to charge into bullets and they'll go. They're that stupid. You know, at 25-year-old, they don't want to do that anymore. You know, it don't make sense. You're asking me, do what? And then, of course, that same mentality causes them to get in wrecks. That's what insurance companies discovered. It's because it's part of the brain. But the interesting thing is, that part of the brain that kind of changes at 25-year-old is the learning part of it. The, the constant learning. So after 25, you know, those of us that are in our 40s, we complain we don't learn as fast as we did when we were younger. It's biological. We're made that way. And that's fine. That's good. But homeschooling takes advantage of those young years. This is just a list. I'm going to talk a little bit about a couple of things. Goodness, time is going by. Homeschooling and what it is not. I was told there's a drink of water here and I'm going to need it. Ever since I had that flu, my throat has been dry. Homeschooling is not. It is not conducive to including a lot of other goals. Somebody in the family is going to have to make that a pretty big part of their life. A big priority. Homeschooling is not to be done by someone without vision. If you don't have a vision, get one. And get it while you're young. We have a family in our fellowship that struggles a little bit with homeschooling. And I was speaking to him recently and, and he said, you know, I was talking about my business and, you know, I had to build a new building and we were kind of growing the business. And he said, I don't understand. He said, here I am up in my 40s and I'm just now starting to get a vision you know, for, for having a home business and moving forward. And, and it shows. Get a vision, you young people, and get it young. Think about a godly family and the beauty and the joy that comes with that. Think about the way that you can go about doing that. Take steps now to learn. You know, you young people that are in school right now, i got a whole room full of young people. You're in school and you're wondering, why do I have to be in school? If no other reason, especially you girls, is to teach your children. It's important. It's important. My dad used to tell me and my brother, he said it a lot, I stuck. He would say to Doug and I, he'd say, never date a girl. We had a dating culture there. Never date a girl that you would not want to be the mother of your children. He said that a lot to us. And I would just add something. I hope this is fair. You young men, and you not so young men, and you two young men, never court a girl that you would not want to be the teacher of your children. And this is a kind of an important point. 
Here, uh, we just had a little homeschool day at our church, and, and one of the young mothers there, don't have children, just, well, she does, she has two very small children. She was there, and she plugged right in. You know, a mother, a mother with no homeschooled children as yet, just babies. She plugged in, we had a history day, and she had a little presentation she did, something she studied, the life of Horatius Bonar. We sung one of the, or we, I guess one of the songs right beside one we sung today was written by him, Horatius Bonar. And I got to comment about it. I asked her, well, how did you get interested? You don't even have children in homeschooling. She said, I'm very interested in homeschooling. When she was, a, when she was still at home, she taught one of her younger children. Their mom, mom wasn't able to do it for whatever reason, and she spent a whole year teaching one of her younger siblings. She's very interested. That is something that you young people, you youngest children in the room, if you get an opportunity to teach one of your siblings, take the opportunity, get excited about the opportunity, see it as something to learn from. And you mothers, something that maybe this is a good place to put it in here. I was, we were dealt with a family years ago where things were not going well in that home. And spent a lot of time with that family. One of the things that I noticed was that mama had a hard time multitasking. The, literally, holding laundry up in front of the stove to dry it one at a time. Now that sounds like a joke, but that's real. That's how bad it can get. No vision. No place to go. I guess I'll just dry laundry today. Now that sounds terrible and I'm not making fun of anyone. That's, a, that's an awful thing. But you mothers... Get excited about teaching your, even if you're not a good multitasker yourself. Maybe you didn't learn it well when you were young. But you know, you think about a, a, a young girl, uh, a young married mother, and then later on, maybe married with children. Okay, get up in the morning, probably better start some laundry. Got to get breakfast ready. Got to get the children, get the chores done. Make sure the children are up and getting out there to get the chores done. Need to get the husband off to work, so we need to pack his lunch. And you think about all those things that has to be done in the first hour, hour and a half. If you do one thing at a time, I guarantee you won't get it done. You better have a lot of things going at once. And if you're going to be a homeschool mother, young people, and if you're going to teach your children to be homeschool mothers, they better learn how to multitask. There's not going to be a lot of waiting until Papa goes off to work and crawling back in bed. So there's a lot of diligence that we can teach to our children. That's all under the heading of vision, by the way. I suppose it all fit. Homeschooling is not done so that you can have more of your children's help. And that's, a, that's my, uh, uh, you give me a beating for that one. My son is, uh, thankfully he learns fast. I don't know how school would have been if he hadn't. Because he worked with me since he was nine years old, nearly full-time, except in the winter. Homeschool is not detrimental to your children's social skills. Now, that's something you folks don't need to worry about. I mean, you're kind of past that. But that's something my dad was hit with. In fact, I think the whole early homeschool movement was hit with that hard. You remember it probably, Elvin. Yeah, the children can't, they're not going to be socialized. And, you know, it they have to go to school to be socialized. 
Well, later on we found out that children do the very best when they're interacting with a multiple age groups. It's actually antisocial to put all your children in one box with all the same age, all the 10-year-olds with the 10-year-olds. It don't work nearly as well as integrating them with everyone. You know, I believe, and I'd probably you older ones could probably testify, if you've ever been around a group of young people, it don't take long, and I've heard college professors with my own ears heard this very thing, they can pick out the homeschoolers. When they, you go into a college where you know, the new batch of, of youth come in, it don't take just a day or two. They figured out where the homeschoolers are. They're the ones that they are flowing with the professors. They're interacting with everyone. There's none of this uh, fear and isolation and, and trying to avoid the older folks. It's a much better. Socialization actually works best in homeschooling environment. Supposed to be excited about homeschooling? That is something you can get excited about. Homeschooling is not exclusively about academics. We've already talked about that. Homeschooling is not a good excuse for poor education. I was homeschooled. That's the reason why I don't know that stuff. I would like to talk about that a little more too. And maybe that's probably a good place to go. We plain people have been suspicious of education, have we not? Probably all of us that are in the plain world have been pretty suspicious of, homes, of schooling, of education, not homeschooling, but just education, especially higher education. And there's good reasons for that. You know, we associate it with, with uh, you know, mom and pop both going to uh, going to the workforce or dad being away on a career job. We associate it with young people going off to college and losing their faith. And we associate it with, a, with the world that oppresses us, that, that's wrong in so many ways. But I would like to point out, or maybe even science falsely so-called, I would point that out too. And I'd like to point out too that in the early days of the Anabaptists, and those of you who have read much in history, well, you'll find that the Anabaptists believed in education. One of the more outstanding parts of that story is the Hutterite doctors were in demand. They were some of the best doctors in Europe of their day. They were highly educated. They knew their stuff. When the, you know, you know Joe Tinker, drunkard, beat his wife, spent too much time in the alehouse, when he would get converted, and get baptized in the Anabaptists. Two years later, he was reading. Never read before. And there was actually rumors going around that there was some magic potion they were drinking so that they would be educated, could read. But no, they wanted to read the Bible. So people who came into the Anabaptist movement right away, almost at any age, soon learned to read. That was a characteristic of the early Anabaptists. So why do we teach our children to read we teach them so they can read the Bible. You know, those who won't read are in the same place as those who can't read. Think about that just a little bit. There's a book called Already Gone, written by Ken Ham, Creation Museum. Uh, man, it's an interesting book. He makes an interesting observation. He talks that the title of the book is Already Gone, and the point of the book is this. Everybody is worried that their young people are going to college and losing their faith. In his studies, he spent quite a bit of time, he has a lot of statistics, he shows that that actually happened 
That losing of faith actually happened when they were 10, 11, 12 years old. And the point he makes is, of course, it's kind of where his mind is at. His point is that the young people are going to school and they're learning tangible, concrete things. Math and chemistry and biology. They're learning things that you can do in a laboratory. You can test it. You can get your hands on it. It's solid. It's dependable. It's predictable. It's repeatable. You go to church and it's all abstract and fuzzy and mythological. And even the stuff that's in the Bible is history is treated as if it's a myth. And of course, his favorite, the thing he likes to bash on is Noah's Ark, you know, with the monkey tails and the giraffe heads. And, you know, you could sink it in a bathtub, let alone in a worldwide flood. You know, he, he makes the case that education is not contrary to faith. That knowledge and facts and science are not opposed to reason. And, he, of course, he, he shows that we need to believe and teach the Bible from beginning to end, and he emphasizes Genesis. Because all of that's there. The Bible also is concrete, but we don't often teach it like as if it's concrete. And our homeschool mamas and papas learn some things. Halley's Handbook is a, is a good resource for you. A lot of those obscure prophecies and Habakkuk and Nahum, they were fulfilled. And the Halley's Handbook is a real good place to find out about the, the geological and the, and the geographical and the political events of that day. And then how those, how those events were, were fulfilled and how prophecy was fulfilled. These, the Bible is not abstract and mythological and distant. It is something we can get our hands around. Yet, point number 12, character is more important than academics when it comes right down to it. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8. Some of you have it memorized. I'm just going to emphasize a point out of that. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8. It says this. Beside all this, give diligence. Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. Add to your faith virtue and to virtue, knowledge. Start out, parents, with faith. Who are we? Who is God? Believe it. Believe all the words of God. Stand on the promise of God. Live in the faith in God. In the redemptive work of Christ on the cross. Add to that virtue. Virtue is moral excellence. It is good character. It is the virtues of life. It is discipline and hard work. It is adding to your faith the, a good life, wisdom, soundness of life, and then add to that knowledge. There's two reasons for it. The one reason, of course, is that if you have knowledge without the virtues, without the wisdom, you will make a mess of your life. Knowledge without virtue will be very destructive. We can see it in the world all around us. What you see when people, they have this, this knowledge of how life should be lived on some scientific level, and they're confused about whether they're male or female. Knowledge can be destructive. Also, it's important because without the character, 
It is awful hard to teach your children. If you have an unruly, undisciplined, unfocused eight-year-old, you're not going to have much time to focus on the five-year-old. Teaching your eight-year-old the virtues of life will make teaching your five-year-old much, much, much easier. And those of you who are homeschoolers know that that was just redundant. You knew that already. Children without character will not be independent learners. You know, when mama turns her back, the learning stops. Virtue. Add to your faith virtue. Self-discipline. We must bring up our children, Ephesians 6, 4, in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Self-discipline. Susanna Wesley said this. Look it up and put it on your wall. We have this saying hanging on our kitchen wall, right where my wife can see it every day. And I see it most days because it's not very far from the coffee pot. The parent who subdues, studies to subdue, self-will in his child, works together with God in the saving of a soul. The parent who indulges self-will, does the devil's work, makes religion impractical, salvation unattainable, and does all that is in him to damn his child's soul and body forever. Self-discipline is subduing the self-will. To nurture up a child, bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. If you look up that word, you'll find that it includes the subordination of the impulses and fleshly desires to the will and what ought to be. I was talking to one of our homeschool mothers that's probably one of our shining lights in our little fellowship. And we got to talking about a, the need for homeschooling, how important it is for mothers to get involved, get disciplined, make it happen. And she said, it's not just that they're not getting the material. You know, we have a couple of youth there that are way too old reading at a third grade level. But the problem that she pointed out was that they're not getting the self-discipline that education inherently brings. There's something about sitting down in the chair and the nose in the book for an hour at a time at least and for a half a day or three-quarters of a day that brings a certain self-discipline you can't get any other way. And interestingly, the self-discipline problem is showing up not just in the fact that they're only reading the third grade level, it's showing up in other ways too. Self-discipline is very important. Academics might be the easiest part. A child who is under control, this is just an assertion, and it might not always be true, a child who is under control can be taught anything from any curriculum with any method. Think about that a bit. I have quite a bit to say about organization, but that's actually going to be in my afternoon session, and my wife will probably do most of that. I am not an organized person, by the way. That's my confession for the day. 
I fly by the seat of my pants and depend, depend on my wife to organize my life. Let all things be done decently in order. That's true. Except for people like me, of course. I will say this about list people, though. If you are an organized person, you like a list, make sure that on your list is, are my children at the end of the day going to be closer to God than they were at the beginning of the day? Put that on your list, too. Opportunity does not equal obligation. That's a basic rule of life, but it's a basic rule of homeschooling, too. Just because you can, just because you have the opportunity to, just because it will be fun, and just because that the, the other sisters in the church are doing it, doesn't mean you are obligated to do it. Do what you see as absolutely necessary. Make sure you're getting at least the necessary things done. And this little science project and this little field trip maybe just can't be done. But make sure the children are getting a well-rounded education as you possibly can. Pick your battles. Focus on the things that you can. And this is an important point. How much time do I have, Elvin? Another 10 minutes or less? Teaching and training children requires much wisdom and strength from God. If you are the school teacher, mother, older sibling, and you have just had an argument with your husband, you didn't have time this morning for your quiet time, you're worried about the finances, and you're struggling with discouragement. And you're not really feeling very connected to God. How effective are you going to be in teaching your children that morning? Anybody want to give a guess? Pray. Get right with God. Be right with your husband. Get your relationships right. From the center of that, from the center of your a good, solid relationships with your husband and with God and with your children, then you will find it much easier to teach your children. And more to say about that, but I'm going to move on. Persevere. You know, that's probably the most important thing, is just stick with it. You know, I began my account of my parents uh, struggling to persevere. And I don't hold that against them at all. But it's, you know, the, after the initial incitement's over, you're just going to have to get up every morning and do it. Five days a week in the wintertime. And why? Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. If you don't teach your children, somebody will. It'll be the devil. It'll be the world. It'll be the peers. It'll be their own imaginations going on, which is, for some of us, has been a problem. Some of us have a better imagination than others. And it's very devilish many times. We'll, the gap 
that we leave, the slack that we leave, the devil will be quite glad to pick up. And this one I wasn't sure whether to put in here is something as I was meditating on this subject that I feel like maybe it just needs to be said. Our remnant charity churches is integrally bound up with the homeschooling movement. You ever think about that? Almost all of our churches are homeschool churches. If there's exceptions, I don't know about them. If there is a desperate failure in the homeschooling side of things, would you like to make a prediction about what your children will think of our churches? Think about that a bit. If homeschooling is not working, the children don't feel like they got an education. Things didn't go well. What crossover, what connection do you think the children will be making to the church that they get to go to every Sunday? Will it, too, seem like a failure? I speak from some stories I could tell that better not. There is people who have left our churches, at least in part, because they see it as a failure, and partly because it fails as homeschoolers. You know, it's pretty obvious when, a, when somebody gives up and sends their children to public school. Gives up and sends them to the private school. It's not quite so obvious when they just give up by not having it this week, and then the next week, and then the next week, and then the months go by, and finally it's time to start school next year, and you realize you're a whole year behind. There's more than one way to give up. There's more than one way to fail. And one of the ways we just never admit it to ourselves. We just never do it. Do it. We had a time in our, in our life that we were struggling. My wife is, had some health trouble, and we had an especially bad time. And we had to make some choices. What do we do? One of the things that we did that year was Karen stayed home from Haiti, and she taught her siblings. We put Canaan on a Becca DVD. That we had to do something. The point is, what does it take to get the job done? Make sure that you do it. Make sure you do it. So get the big picture. Realize that this, your children are the most important thing. Not just to you, but to God. Get that big picture in your mind. Realize that this is an opportunity. Think about it. It's an opportunity. You are given something that many, many, many parents are not given. The opportunity, undivided attention, week after week after week, to yes, in the academic, in the context of homeschooling, to teach the values of life, the good things of God. Be thankful for that. Get up every in the morning enthused about that. The, the enthusiasm that God has given me an opportunity, I can take advantage of it. It's fun. You might have to set aside some other priorities. There's other things you might have to say, well, I can't do that. But make it a priority. And in the end, you'll be very, very thankful. God will bless it, and God will bless you. There's nothing quite like the beauty 
of a godly home and children that love mom and papa and are thriving and prospering. And we homeschool parents are given that opportunity. And we can do it. It's being done every day all across our land. There's godly families doing this thing. And some of you say, well, I don't know if I can. But ask some of the older ones. I believe when 2013, Larry, I believe, was in our fellowship. And he said something like this. I think he said that no one, he doubted that anyone had it harder than he did. Last I checked, he's still doing it. So praise the Lord for that. 